Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Remember, if you are stepping away from the radio because you're headed into work or for any reason, you don't have to miss out on the conversation here on Detroit Today. You can go to iTunes or wherever it is you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today. And you can take us with you and listen when you are ready. A little later in the show, we are going to talk about language and Twitter and President Trump. We're going to talk about his tweets from over the weekend, which made a lot of news for the substance uh, that was in them and the responses he was offering to these criticisms that are that are inside of a, a new book about the early days in his White House. But I think they are also notable for their use of language, specifically for their use of the word like, set off by commas in a declarative statement saying that the president is, in fact, very smart. It was something that caught me off guard. I don't know that I've ever seen the word like used that way in written expression before. And I'm not the only one who was surprised by that. Ben Zimmer is a linguist and lexicographer and language columnist for The Wall Street Journal. He wrote in The Atlantic over the weekend about that use of like. He's going to join us to talk about the president's use of that and what it means, not just in terms of the president and the way he uses language, but for all of us on social media and the ways that that is influencing our language. Then we're going to talk with Jeffrey Engel, who's the director of the Center for Presidential History at Southern Methodist University, uh, author of a forthcoming book about George H.W. Bush and the end of the Cold War, about how this sort of slips Trump into sort of presidential history. Uh, Harsh words uh, about Trump and his use of language, his use of Twitter, his use of social media. Uh, Engel will help us put that in perspective. But up first, it's an election year, and that usually means it's tougher for controversial bills to make their way through our state legislature. But one committee in Lansing has more than 100 bills in front of it right now. Many of those are controversial measures that leaders of the House Judiciary Committee hope to act on quickly. They include bills that would allow people to openly carry firearms where they're currently banned, require child protective services to record any interviews with children, and restrict law enforcement's ability to seize property from civilians. Is there any chance we'll see movement on these high-profile bills in the legislature before every single seat goes up for election in November? Joining us now to talk about that is Shana Roth. She is the state capital reporter for the Michigan Public Radio Network. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, so let's talk about uh, what's going on in this in this particular committee. Uh, these issues are are backed up there, and as I point out, uh, it's an election year, so it it seems. Uh, I guess a foregone conclusion that we're not going to get a lot of action on these things. At the same time, these these issues, some of them at least, had momentum going into the end of last year, and maybe that momentum carries into at least to the, the early part of this year. Give us a sense of how likely we are to see action on any of these. Well, the 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 bills that you mentioned, particularly the the gun bills, and, and I apologize, I think my notes uh, misspoke to you. These are concealed carry, so these that are gun the, bills. That's right. These are gun bills that would uh, allow people to conceal carry in places where they're traditionally not allowed, like schools, uh, daycares, sports stadiums, places like that. Those are bills that um, 
going into the end of the year, they really had some momentum and they've kind of come to a halt for a little bit because they are in part so controversial. Um, but these bill packages that you mentioned, these are things that the chair of the committee, Representative Runstead, says he's really focused on. And he wants to get these issues um, in front of the committee. He wants to hear testimony. He wants to potentially put them up for a vote as soon as you know February, March, because he says once you get past those first three months of the new year in an election year, it becomes really difficult to get, as he said, anything other than changing a street name passed because everybody <laughs> gets, as he said, a little squirrely. Yeah. Um, and and the momentum that was built up for these uh, for these bills, talk about why it didn't result in passage in 2017 when it would have been maybe a little easier. I think you, you, what we saw um, as far as the gun bills go at the end of the year was there was just a lot going on in the House. Um, there were some other issues that came up that they wanted to focus on. Um, and it's something that when there is as big of a controversy controversy as there was about these bills, that lawmakers, you know, they'll, they'll do one of two things. They'll either slow down and really kind of take a look at them, or they will just say, full speed ahead, we are just going to get this done. Yeah. And in this case, it looks like the chair decided to to kind of take the, the first approach and to kind of take a step back. Um, he says that he wants to talk to different people involved. Um, and one of the bill sponsors, Senate Majority Leader Arla Mikoff, has said that, you know, he's been taking this time to try and explain these bills to people. He thinks that, you know, one of the reasons they are controversial is that people don't quite understand what he's trying to do with these bills. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is one of the situations situations where we saw maybe um, outwardly it looked like they lost momentum, but I think behind the scenes, this is something that people have not, they have not stopped talking about. Yeah. And and actually one of the people that they are likely to have to convince uh, to, to embrace this as, as law is, is Governor Rick Snyder, right? I mean, he's expressed uh, some real, some real skepticism about, uh, about these gun bills. Absolutely. And and that's something because similar bills like these have come up in the past and he has voiced some concerns about them. He has been somewhat reserved in his uh, in in how he feels about these bills. And I think that's another reason that the House has kind of slowed them down because they are um, one of the last stops, one of the last major stops before they get to the governor's bill. So I think they're trying to really tweak them and make them to something that if they do get to the governor's desk, that he is more willing to pull out his pen and sign them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some of the other uh, mm-hmm. issues that uh, that are in front of judiciary. The civil asset forfeiture is, I think, a really interesting issue. It's something that both uh, many liberal-minded people, I think, want to see changed, and uh, some conservatives, but particularly uh, conservatives who consider themselves libertarians, have a real problem uh, with with this uh, with this law that allows. These these seizures of of property uh, from civilians who get themselves into into legal trouble. Talk about uh, what these bills would do and sort of where they stand right now. Yeah, well, back in 2015, we did see a bit of a surge in asset forfeiture uh, changes. There was a package of bills that increased reporting requirements. It raised the standard of proof that the government has to meet in order to take your property in certain cases. And what these bills, this bill would do is it would go another step further. And, and law enforcement, in some cases, are arguing that might be too far. It would require a conviction before there's the taking of any property in a civil asset forfeiture case. Um, and, and proponents of this say, you know what, that's only fair. You shouldn't be taking somebody's property unless you are, unless a court has been convinced or a jury has been convinced 
by beyond a reasonable doubt that that a crime was committed using this property or that involved this property. But what law enforcement says is, you know, civil asset forfeiture, it can be a tool that they use. And in some cases, they seize property involved in, let's say, a drug case uh, without going to any convictions because they're able to use the forfeiture sort of as a tool to uh, to get people to cooperate or to plead or to, uh, you know, you know, do that sort of, you know, so flip on other people right. um, in order to get their property back or to, you know, get themselves away from criminal charges. So what they're arguing is that this is a tool that we need to, in some cases, take down criminal enterprises because we're getting rid of the houses or the cars or the money that they're using to further these uh, operations. So what Runestead is saying is that, you know, this is an issue that he wants to look at. He wants to be very careful about. He doesn't want to, as he said, use a hammer for something like this. Um, so I think we m- could see a slightly different bill than just this blanket, you need a conviction before taking any property. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Shana Roth. She's a state capital reporter for the Michigan Public Radio Network. We are talking about a number of controversial bills that are in the State House Judiciary Committee ready for some action, I suppose, but uh, it's an election year in Lansing, and that typically means that it's very hard to get controversial things done because then folks have to go home and face the voters. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. What do you think about these bills? We talked already about uh, concealed carry bills that would uh, change places where you are allowed to carry a concealed weapon. talked about civil asset forfeiture. And uh, in a second, we're going to talk about uh, child protective services, some changes that may be on tap there. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Shana, these child protective services uh, bills are, are about I imagine, again, protecting families. Uh, there have been a lot of complaints about the way, I guess, uh, Child Protective Services goes through the process of breaking up families when they need to. Uh, these bills would, would require a little more documentation uh, than we get now. Right. So these bills are really focused on interviewing children. Um, right now, there is a, it's um, it's called forensic interviewing of children. It's a specific way that uh, law enforcement, CPS, and other places should go about interviewing children, and it involves you know uh, everything from the, how you set up the room to the way you talk to the child and how you ask questions. And what this bill would do is it or these bills would require that those interviews between um, a state worker or law enforcement and the child be video recorded. And then those video uh, tapes be made available in certain circumstances. Um, this is something that, uh, that, that that is very delicate for a lot of people. Um, the, uh, the Michigan Sexual Violence Prevention and Treatment Board has come out against these bills. Um, and they're, they agree that, you know, recording these interviews is best practice. But they're, what they're saying is that it shouldn't be mandated they're concerned that in some cases, if a child knows that they're being interviewed, that they're less likely to be forthcoming with um, with what happened with to them, details, or yeah. exactly, or they might be concerned that somebody would see it, that they don't want to see it, so they might, you know, just clam up and not talk altogether. Um, but advocates say that you know this is evidence. This is a way to make sure that you know 
that the uh, person doing the interview is doing it correctly, that they're not leading the child in any way, that they're not implanting, uh, you know, different ideas into the child, um, and that it's a way to make sure that these practices, the best practices, are being followed. And they're also arguing that, you know, it's scary for a kid to be in court or to be in front of a judge and to give accurate testimony. But if we are able to videotape them in a safe environment, you know, that can really change the whole process for these kids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Earl in Oak Park, you're up first on Detroit Today. You there, Earl? Stephen, can you hear me? I can. Go ahead. Hello, Stephen? Uh-huh. Yeah, I just wanted to... Hi, I wanted to know what role you think the election will play in terms of whether they're going to favor uh, Lieutenant Governor Cowley or Bill Schuette and whether the Judiciary Committee is going to work to help one of the candidates or try to stay neutral or, or how that's going to affect uh, the bills coming out of the House. Yeah, Earl, great question. Uh, we were talking uh, earlier about the elections in terms of the legislative elections that uh, that legislators will, will face later this year, but we've got a gubernatorial race as well, and mm-hmm. that could play a role, I suppose, in in uh, what the House Judiciary Committee does and what the legislature does. Yeah, I think what we're probably going to see more of is these candidates, maybe not necessarily the committees themselves uh, favoring one candidate or another or lawmakers favoring one candidate or another, but you're going to start seeing these lawmakers uh, talking about these issues. Um, so you're probably going to see as these uh, bills start coming back up again, uh, you're probably going to see, you know, uh, Lieutenant Governor Brian Kelly or Attorney General Bill Schuette or any of the other candidates starting to really talk about these issues. Because, you know, one of the ways that we know what people are concerned about and a good way to kind of get a pulse of the state is to see gauge people's reaction as uh, different measures go through the legislature. It's a way of uh, people showing, it's, it's a way to see what people are interested in and uh, what they're passionate about. So I think more than anything, we will probably see some reaction to all from all of the different candidates to a variety of different bills, including you know maybe the gun bills or maybe the civil asset forfeiture bills. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm also curious about the role that uh, Democrats on the committee might play, uh, you know, on these bills. The Democrats are, of course, a, a minority in the House, and they can't, uh, on their own, uh, stop something from from passing. But, but uh, you know, is it possible for Democrats to team up maybe with hesitant Republicans and uh, throw a wrench into, into some of these plans? That's always possible. And that's something that, that we've seen with different bills, even uh, in in the state house, you know, we saw last year the state income tax bill failed because all the Democrats rallied together, and they also had a handful of Republicans, enough Republicans who went with them. We also saw that with the uh, car, uh, with the car insurance bills. Um, so that's definitely something a tool that Democrats do have out there. Uh, obviously, they are a minority, and they are a minority in all of the committees. On the Judiciary Committee, you have six Republicans and four Democrats. Um, but they are able to still get their message out there, and they're able to advocate for their position in those committees to the best of their abilities. While it might not, in a voting sense, um, change the outcome, they are still able to to you know really ask those tough questions and to really try and you know cross examine uh, different people on why they feel that these bills are important. Yeah, 
Yeah. Okay, Shana Roth, State Capitol Reporter with the Michigan Public Radio Network. Thanks very much for joining us here on Detroit Today. Always a pleasure. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. All right, up next, we're going to talk about the language our like-very-smart president uses. We're going to talk about Trump, language, Twitter, and our culture next on Detroit Today. Thank you.